I am Captain Matthew Gillespie of the Philadelphia Police Department's 18th District, and this is Aftermath Philadelphia. In this podcast, we host critical conversations with those involved in reducing the epidemic of gun violence in the city of Philadelphia. This podcast features candid episodes that highlight the different thoughts and perspectives while offering different strategies to lower the violence. I am very excited and honored to have gunshot survivor Aronde McLean on this episode. Aronde is a gunshot survivor. When he was 10 years old, he was caught in a crossfire and shot in the head. We discuss that experience along with the lifelong relationships he has with the police officers who saved his life. His own journey back from the hospital stays, including his physical and mental therapy. The great support network that he has from his mother and grandmother. His own thoughts on how to lower the violence in the city of Philadelphia, including what he is currently doing with his foundation. And this is all on this episode of Aftermath Philadelphia. The thoughts and ideas expressed on this podcast do not represent the thoughts or ideas of the Philadelphia Police Department or the city of Philadelphia. All right, everybody, it's uh, Captain Gillespie, Aftermath Philadelphia, and today, you know, honestly, I really am honored. This is a special, special guest uh, here, somebody who's a survivor and a doer, you know, Aronde McLean, thank you for being here today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Um, Aronde McLean is a gunshot survivor. He runs uh, his own foundation for gun violence, the McLean Foundation, which we're going to get into. Um, and recently we just found out that I used to live where I used to work, so we could have crossed paths at some <laughs> right, point, right. you know what I mean? Um, Ronde, how you doing? I'm pretty good. Hanging in there? Yeah. All right, cool. Um, let's just get right into it. April 3rd, 2000. You know, okay. tell you what happened. So I lived on Sharpneck Street. Which um, is in the Germantown, Germantown section. section. My mom's girlfriend. So uh, let's, let's back it up. April 1st, they took the battery out of my mom's car. They stole the battery out of my mom's car. So some, okay. So every night around 6.30, 8.30, she used to pick her girlfriend up from Lee's Hoagie House. It was Rising Sun Adams. Mm-hmm. So April 1st, she couldn't do it. April 2nd, she couldn't do it. But this particular night, April 3rd, she needed help with her bag. She was getting on the 18th. And she called my mom and said, hey, can somebody help me and meet me at the bus stop? So your, your mom called her mom? No, my mom, her girlfriend called my Okay, mom. gotcha. So um, my mom like, listen, we knew around here. I'm not going to have my 10-year-old son walk to the Chinese store. It's a block away. And I'm like, no, I'm a hero. I got this. I could do this. Um, they ain't going to touch me. So, you know how kids are. Yeah, yeah. So my mom, me and her mom said, I'm going to walk you to the Chinese store. And I'm like, I'm not, you're not going to walk me. Now, what, what time is this about? This is around uh, 8.30. So it's, it's not that late. Yeah, 8.30. Okay. No, no matter of fact, it was like 8 o'clock. On like, 8 o'clock in on April. A, okay. Yeah, on a Monday night. All right. So we walked there. We walked over to the Chinese store. And as a mom, she said, don't go nowhere. Stay in the Chinese store. Like all these. She's demands. doing what every good mother does. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I said, you know what? Okay, I'm gonna sit here. She even told the Chinese lady, "Listen, 
if my if my son move, you call me. She okay. Gave the, the, I, gave I like the, it. <laughs> she gave the Chinese number, her number, and everything. And it was like a phone booth. She called the phone booth like five times. She had to walk back wow. to the store. To I mean, walk back to the house. Okay. To check on my two little sisters. Okay. So it was around maybe. 820, 823 so I run to the Chinese store. It's probably like two feet away. But the lady in the Chinese store, she shut the door. As you're running back. As I'm running back. Now, it's not like running back because it's only like two feet. Gotcha. She shut the door on me. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> she shut the door. This could be a problem. Yes. And so it was six uh, shots fired. The last shot hit me in the back of the head. Now, man, you know, I hear so much. We talked about social media earlier, right? Mm -hmm. I hear so much, whether it's on social media or other entities, you know, people are like, oh, well, you know, this person that got shot was in the game or they Mm -hmm. shouldn't have been out there doing it. And that's not the case. Like a lot of times, and it certainly wasn't the case April 3rd, you know, 2000 now to, to what happened next, so, if you remember? Um, I, I remember a little bit, but I read articles and people sure. telling me the stories. Sure. So uh, she shut the door and I slid through the door because I got, I got shot in the back of the head. So I slid down the, I, I slid down the, the uh, you door. You slid down the closed yeah, door of the, the Chinese door. store. So right next to it, it's a Seven Eleven. It's not there no more. Mm-hmm. It is two cops. I, I will remember their name forever. Brian Hewitt and um, Megan Lynch from the Fourteenth District. So Brian Hubert and Megan Lynch. Yes. Okay. So they they still are friends to this day. Wow. So they was on break. I yeah, they was on break and getting a cup of coffee, and they heard the shots. So they come around. And they see me on the floor. So they don't, like, call back up. They don't call the ambulance. They call in and say, block these streets off immediately. So from Chew and Sharpneck to Einstein Hospital, that's maybe about three, four, five miles. Yeah. Maybe about 11, 12 minutes. Yep. They got there in 93 seconds. Wow. Wow. I mean... Do you remember that car ride? I remember some of it. I know, like, like Brian was driving mm-hmm. while Megan had me on her lap. And I kept trying to... I kept saying, I'm hot, I'm hot. I was taking my clothes off. Taking my clothes off. And she just trying to hold me. 
to have her finger in the bullet hole trying to stop the bleeding. And that's all that's all I re- that's all I remember mm-hmm. that scene. Well back we back up. So they picked me up and put me in the car. They the fourteenth district did a hell of a great job. I think the fourteenth district with the thirty fifth district. Two of the best districts in the city. Yes. Seriously. Yes. You know, I spent I was a sergeant up in the fourteenth and thirty ninth and a detective. I mean it two of the best districts yes. in the city, really. So they blocked every intersection from Chu and Sherbnet to Einstein Hospital. Wow. So everything was blocked. Just so getting it was a there. straight, straight Just ride. There. Straight ride. And, you know, that's something that that's something that our department has been doing for years, obviously since 2000, if, if not before. Wow. And it probably saved your life. Right. I mean, would you th- probably, I would yeah, think. I, you know, I had a doctor on another episode who said... You know, one of the number one things to save a life, get the person to the ER as quickly as possible. Right. Um, and so when we got there, well, so back in maybe, because it's like two, two scenarios I'm going to give you. Sure. Um, my mom, my mom, girlfriend got off the bus. The cops are already there and it's yellow tapes, it's blood all over. Mm-hmm. But she just bought me um, yellow irises. They just came out, and I wore them. You know, you're not supposed to wear them anyway, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I just wore them. Sure. So she like, I know that sneakers. I know those sneakers. I know the sneakers because my shoes was outside the Chinese store. So she run home and say, well, they call, they call me Rock. They're like, where Rock at? And my, my mom like, well, he's at the Chinese store waiting for you. You know, you just reminded me of a, of a point. We were talking earlier before the mics went on of, mm-hmm. like, the large population that doesn't experience gun violence in any form, right? right? I can't tell you how many times at crime scenes people see a hat mm-hmm. or a shirt or a pair of sneakers right. or a watch and was mm-hmm. like, yo, that's my son's or that's my brother or that's my uncle. That's my my sister, right? And that's almost like that's that's how they're notified that their loved one was shot. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So go ahead. So we we she she got home. So they ran down the street. Uh huh. It was like, where my son? Where my son? And the cops, I don't know how they coordinated, but they just took my mom in the back of the police car and says, I don't, it might not be your son. This guy was like six or five. Because I used to be short. Okay. <laughs> I used to be short. Yeah, we don't have a video, but you're not short anymore. <laughs> so I used to be short. So I guess it was, it was my sneakers and my gold chain. But they was like, she was like, that's my son. So they rushed her to the uh, Einstein Hospital. Before she saw my body, mm. I mean, before they told her anything, it was another like incident maybe. So they had a body there. So I did. I died for two minutes and seventeen seconds. But they didn't tell the report that he's getting transferred and he's he, he'll be okay. He's okay. But all she heard was all she saw was the body with a white sheet, and they said, "Yeah, sorry, your son died." So she passed out. So she she passed out, but we go to another scene where 
They brought me to the hospital. Before my mom got they brought me to the hospital. And they called ahead. Hey, we got GSW, 10-year-old child. He's coming in. The sergeant that saved my life, he was supposed to be on vacation. He's in regular clothes. He forgot paperwork. So he heard it and came down with regular clothes on and said, we're going to save this child's life. He wow. wasn't even supposed to be, because they wanted to just... They was gonna tell the cops, "Hey, just take him to chop." I'd have died. Cause from chop, chop from where you got shot. I mean, that's a far area. Yeah. That's far. Yeah. And you got to get there as quickly as possible. So for those that don't know the city, I think from where you got shot to chop, crossing the boulevard. Yeah. I mean, that's easily five, six miles. Right. <laughs> well, no, you that, know? that might not be like yeah, that's like forty five minutes. Maybe. Probably, probably. So, so they obviously made the right decision. Right. And so, here you are today. T- took me, took me straight there. Wow. So the guy come, the surgeon, he come, and said. So they put me and the, they put me in the surgery. I went. Um, I died for two minutes and seventeen seconds. They had to take my brain out, my skull. Operate on that. Wow. They operate on me too, so it's two separate surgeries at the same wow. time. Wow! I mean, medical science is so advanced right. now. I yeah. mean, we're going back 21 years. Yeah, that's amazing. Right, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So they, I, so I fell into a coma at Einstein. Like, do you remember? Do you remember getting to the hospital at all? No. Mm-mm. Okay. I don't remember. I don't remember none of that. I mean, the last memory is probably you in the police car. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So they they did that, um, and they helicoptered me to uh, chop while my grandma had to hold my brain and drive it to chop because you couldn't be two separate. It, couldn't, it had to be two separate things. So you have me in the helicopter, and they have my brain in that ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. I mean, l- let me ask you this. I mean, we'll, and we'll get into like the job and the case and everything. You have such a good demeanor and a positive outlook in life. Where does that come from? From somebody that gets caught in a crossfire, doesn't deserve any of this. We get into some of like the 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 things you had to overcome. Like, where does this positive outlook come from? I just I'm happy to be here, and I feel like. I'm here for a purpose. Okay. I feel like I'm here for a purpose. And I, I don't think I've reached that purpose yet. Okay. So that's why I'm out here fighting and reaching out to find what my purpose is. And tell us, I mean, what... what We had an earlier conversation about all this gun violence. You know, what, what do you think your purpose is or what are you doing now? I think my purpose is... Well, I know my purpose is to save the streets of Philadelphia. Every time I hear somebody get shot or bullets flying, I feel like, oh, that could have been me. You know what? I don't want that to go through what I went through. Mm. Let me go talk to this person or let me go save this child's life. Yeah. You'll get back to that. How how did it affect your life? I mean, obviously, how long were you in the hospital for? Let's start uh, with that. Seven months. I was in a coma for seven weeks. Okay. I was in the hospital for seven months. But... 
I had rehab. I had rehab for twelve years. Wow. So, so what does that entail? Like, were you at a rehab facility for twelve years? Did you no, come no, and go? No, I've come. It was outpatient. Outpatient. Yeah, because I couldn't walk, talk, or anything. Wow. Because when I woke up out the coma, I didn't even know English. Wow. So in fourth grade, I knew English and Latin, but I woke up speaking Latin. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I didn't know what I was saying. Wow. I didn't know what I was saying. But now, me being 31, I can't even tell you one Latin word. <laughs> you know, the hu- the human body and mind is like so crazy how right. it responds and resilient how it responds to trauma. Mm-hmm. And, you know, before I, I forget and miss this point, you know, we hit on the police that got you there and saved your life, the doctors. Mm-hmm. The rehab staff yeah, that got you that's, back. That's difficult. You know, a lot of people seem to forget about the rehab staff, the medical staff, right. the post. You, know, you get shot, you survive, mm-hmm. but you have to put your life back together. Yeah, that's. I think that's the roughest part. And you, why was it? Because you, when you by yourself, that's when it breaks down. That's when it really hits you, because you don't have the hospital staff. You don't have nobody around you saying, oh, don't do this or don't do that. Like, it's just you in the dark room. You sleep. And that's like the worst pain ever. Mm. Worst pain ever. Well, what, what keeps you going? What keeps me going? What kept you going at that point, right, in your um, life where it was like that grind to get back to where you are now? So I don't like when people tell me things like, you can't do it. Like, I don't. Well, now I'm going to do it. Yeah. So I had the doctor come in the room and say, well, you're going to be uh, retarded. Um, he might not wake up out the coma. If he wake up out the coma, he's going to be a vegetable. They was trying to pull the plug. So and they say you can't walk, talk all over it. You got to do all that over again. Or he might not make it. Or if he make it, he won't be 100%. He's going to be 40%. You will have to feed him or... So that determined me like to beat the do- beat the eyes, and I wanted to show the doctors that I could do it. And I'm I'm going out on a limb here. I'm saying that sarcastically, <laughs> but I bet your mother probably has something to do with that, of with course. the resiliency. Of course, you know, yeah. I'm sure she was there with you. Mm-hmm. My mom, my grandma, my grandpa, and, and my mom's wife, every step of the way. And so you have to go with the way I was raised. So. Culture is a big is a big difference. So my mom, um, I got out the hospital, and they put me in a wheelchair, and she like, well, I'm her only son. Mm-hmm. She had me when she was 16, so our bond is close. Yeah. So she like, well, the 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 old you you used to protect me, you used to do everything. You was my son, so I'm not gonna have you outside with a wheelchair or looking all crazy. So I couldn't tie my shoe. I couldn't walk. So she used to put me in she used to put me in the room and say, You're not coming out until you know how to tie your shoe. Like practice makes perfect. I'm not gonna baby you, we're not gonna do none of that. So it's that motherly love that 
I don't think people realized or that family tightness. And she pushed you. Pushed me. You know, she pushed you probably mm-hmm. to to and, do this. And you know, doctors and therapists can't really. That's a soft spot. They can't tell you if I say no. Okay, it's, it's over with. But your family say you're not. I'm not telling you no. You can't tell me no. Yeah. Like my grandma, and my grandpa pushing me, and they put me in everything. Listen, I was in. I was 12, and. Dance school, <laughs> I was in, I was in everything, um, swimming lessons, cause all that is therapy. Wow. But at the same time, I did try to take my life twenty six times. Wow. You know what I mean? Because they there, but when you by yourself, there's nobody. Man, you that know, is the, that's the tough part. That's deep. That's the stuff that like. You know, we as police, right? We respond to that incident. We take that person to the hospital, right? right. And we hear, all right, person survived. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Not too often, and I commend those officers. I really mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. for staying in touch with you all these years. Um, but a lot of times now, you know, we move on to the next case. Right. And you don't hear too much what happens after the person left the hospital. Right. I think the Inquirer actually did an article or two a few years back on just that topic. Mm. And it is. It, it's something that needs to be looked at because certainly if you see a shooting or if you're the victim of one, right. it's not like, oh, the doctor fixed me up and it's in a week right. I'll be out, I'm cool, everything's fine. Right. That's not the case. You know, mm-hmm. and it, it does frustrate me. I will say this: I, I hear all services, right? Services, get services, get the certain services for people. And a lot of the frustration I have, um, or I hear, is people say like, "Well, my family member was shot," and like, that's it. That's it. You know what I mean? And I think we can do better. I think so too. I think we can. And it's like people like yourself that have. The unfortunate intimate knowledge of this right you know like and correct me if I'm wrong but God forbid somebody gets shot mm-hmm. you kind of know what they're going to go through yes physically and mm-hmm. mentally like I feel it I, I don't know what it is but I, I, I feel it cause I'm and I'm like I don't want nobody to go through like it's, it's, it's a touchy topic for me to talk about but I have to talk about it because if I won't talk about it, the next victim won't talk about it neither. I agree. Um, I always say this. It's, it's imperative that we talk about things, even the bad stuff, yeah, right? Let's, let's be honest. Like there's, there's, there's police officers that should be on this job. Yeah. But let's talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. And make solutions to find to either fix their behavior or remove them from the position. Um, there's a lot of violence going on. Let's not act like it's not here. Right. Right? I do believe in listening to other people's point of views, even if I don't agree with it. Of course. You know, and I hope that they, when it comes to this issue, gun violence, and I hope that they would listen to me. Right. And we can just be respectful about it. Um, but this is like an incredible, like, journey that you have been mm. on and going through. And still going on. And still going through, you know. You know, tell us, like, if you're comfortable, how has your life changed? There's obviously the physical stuff. So it changed. Um, from from a child's perspective, it changed a lot. I couldn't play basketball, and I'm sitting in a wheelchair watching my friends 
do the stuff that I used to do. But at the same time, they're looking at me like I'm a stranger or look at this guy that he, I mean, I'm nothing to them. So it, it made me realize that I need to push hard. I need to go strong, stronger. Um, in my adulthood, it still changed because let me tell you something. Scars is the number one thing that made me go harder. Because okay. when people say, what's your scars? And I used to be afraid. I used to tell my barber, oh, uh, just let me get an afro. But now I'm proud that I have scars because it lets me, it's opened the door for me to talk about what what I went through. And they'd be like, oh, man, I have the crazy things. People say, oh, you, was you bit by a shark? Or <laughs> yeah, nah. the craziest thing. No, I got shot in the head. No, not you. Yeah, let me sit down. Let's talk. Let's talk about it. You know, it's like you have a expertise that nobody wants. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we, as a police department, as a city, I think need to tap into that expertise. Mm-hmm. Especially like, what is that person going to go through? And I think that, that that I think that was the worst. Like when I was in the hospital, oh my god, the nurses. I hit the button; they was there. Yeah. Um, I knew my food was coming three, four times a day. I couldn't. I could have any snacks I want. But when you get out, oh my, it's like a whole new world. You don't know what people are gonna say to you. Yeah. Like the nurses and doctors, they know my chart, so they know that I can't move. What you mama. can do and cannot do right. physically. Yeah. Now. The world don't know. Now I have to re-explain myself. And they might not look at it as a positive thing. They might not want to help me. <clears throat> How long did it take you to get back to school? Um, to, uh, a, a year. Luckily, my I was my school, they put me in the right grade. So I got shot in the fourth grade, and they automatically just put me in the fifth grade. But, you know, my class got smaller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Yeah. Yeah. You know, my drift, I, I wasn't in a regular class. I got you. you know I mean, I, I was in a regular class, or if it's time for a test, I have a one-on-one. And they're like, give you the answers. And I, I'm looking like, I, I want to learn, Yeah. but I got shot in the head, so my brain didn't function. That well. Like, my emotions got the best of me, so... I didn't want to cry, but if if you somebody say the wrong thing to me, I cry. Like if I raise my hand, if you don't pick on me, the teacher, I cry. I'm not trying to cry, but it's just the brain trying to fix itself. So it's it's like it was like a crazy ride. I mean, I, I couldn't even imagine the emotions, right? Like yeah. I, unfortunately, I can imagine the physical. Of course. You know, like I can imagine the. You know, I'm holding my radio right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we talk, somebody has become a victim of gun violence as we talk right now wow, wow. in another district out here. Wow. Um, I can imagine the scene. I can imagine, I can close my eyes and imagine the shell casings on the ground, the blood, the clothes that are out there. I can imagine all that. I can even imagine up into the hospital. Right. But after the report is taken, um, you know, it is. And, and, and I can say that it's hard for me to imagine really what you went through and that mm-hmm. what you expressed now um, but I think it's important that like we we focus on that stuff right. I say we I mean you know maybe society people. you know as a people yeah. and 
it seems like you're doing that. I, I'm really proud of like the things that you were talking about with the McLean Foundation. Can you talk a little bit about maybe where that came from, what it does, what do you see it doing in the future? So, so the McLean Foundation is my last name, and I wanted to help everybody. I don't know. I think I think I um, suffer from heroism. <laughs> like I think I'm a hero all the time, all aspects of life, but. Just like you said, when victims get shot or something happens to them, yeah, the doctors come and all that. But at the end, after they get fixed up, nobody's there for them. So what my foundation is, when the victims get shot or anything, we go out and talk to the family or we'll pick up the brother or the sister or the siblings. Okay. So like I have, I have a mentorship now, and it's a couple guys that their loved ones got killed. <clears throat> their siblings, excuse me. And now people don't understand. It raises a lot of questions. If you don't take care of that sibling, number one, they might retaliate. Yep. Number two... Hey, and let me, That's uh, one of the biggest things in the city right now. Mm-hmm. We're out here, at least in West Philly. Like, we're seeing young people get shot, young people lose their lives, and then young people... Want to retaliate? Yep. Because they don't, they they don't fail to realize. But they say, "You hurt my brother. I'm gonna hurt. I'm hurt you." So I have a mentorship, and it's like six six guys. I I had to interview seventy two kids, but I only could pick six. So so seventy two people. Um. So the six people are the ones that you you yeah. you mentor and you yeah. look after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but how many of them have family members and friends and things like that? It's like a tree almost, yeah, it's right? Yeah, it's a tree. Like one of the mothers, uh, me and her, we talk all the time. Uh, her son got killed. So the brother, he's lost without his brother, his older brother. Yeah. The mom is too, though. So the whole family is victimized. I mean. We, we pray when we say, okay, sorry for your loss, but the loss is really the family. They don't know what to do. That could be the caretaker. That could have been the hero. It's a person that's missing out the tree. Listen, you said it perfectly. I mean, that is. It's a person missing out of the tree. It's like I, we see this so many times that whatever the circumstances were, right, right like, you know, that person is could have been the caretaker the primary quote-unquote breadwinner, mm-hmm. you know, the mentor for the family. Right. You know, one of the things I tell my officers all the time, because we do, we do come across people that don't seem, and they actually have said to us, they don't care if they live or die. Right. Right? I don't care. I'm out here on the street. I don't care. But I tell my officers, listen, somebody in their family does care if they live or die. Right. And that's why the police, we have to do what we can the right way you know, not just drive down the street and ignore an issue, an right. argument. Get out, help try to solve the problem, move it on, because that it could end up in a shooting. Right. And now that's, that Real person's... Quick. Really quick. And that person's grandmother or mother or father or uh, child is now without somebody that they care about. Right. And you it's sad. The city is, like, unbelievable right now. You know, this is my 19th year... I, Oh, wow. Congratulations. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. It went by fast. We just had a little ceremony for an officer who had 28 years old. Wow. And I asked her, I said, uh, did the time go by fast? And she said, yeah, it goes by real quick. Oh, wow. You know? Um, I'm just optimistic naturally. I think we can get through this. But it's going to take a true holistic approach, right? People like yourselves. An enforcement angle. Unfortunately, there are people that just need to be off our streets. It's just the truth. Yeah. But, like I tell my cops, I would prefer if we can prevent somebody from doing something stupid, I would take that over arresting them later. Of course. I agree with that. Now, where primarily is your organization operating? All over the city? All over the city. Okay. So, anybody can call me and say, hey, somebody just died. Um, I go... And we'll assess the family, make sure we, they find or need anything. Um, or on Facebook, we I see uh, somebody got shot, or another uh, anti-violence group would call me and uh, let's get together. But my focus is really like Germantown, for mm-hmm. say uh, we just did a march. Okay. We did a march uh, from Central to. Um, where I got shot at. So Central High School? Yeah. To where you got shot? Yeah. We we walked in the rain, and there was so many people, so many cops were there, so many senators. Um, it was actually great. We just uh, did, we're doing a play now for the mentoring groups that I have. We're doing a play. I have a director. Um, so people, so families don't like um, rap music, right? But... If a person is victimized and they don't speak, but they love music and they write music, if you listen to their music, that's what they're saying the whole story. They tell you the whole story. They tell you the whole story. So I take my guys to the studio and they don't talk. They don't, I don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't have like the perfect group that, hey, one day let's talk about what happened. They won't say nothing. But if I put them in the studio and I hear three songs, oh, I know who did it. I know who was there. I know how you feel, and I know who you about to go after. And it's crazy. I was. I said, "Why you didn't just tell me?" So, like, <laughs> when you get that information, though, like, and you know, and, and and if you don't want to answer this, I I understand why. But at least you hear this. Mm-hmm. Do you ever say to these guys, like, "Yo, fellas, it's it's not worth it." Of course, of yeah. course. Yeah. Tell them it's not worth it, or I talk to the mom and say. Is there any guns in the house, or is there any weapons, or is there any access to weapons? But none of my guys are like, that's what they think is the right way. And they're expressing themselves, not actually right. going out there but and doing it. that's why I like my foundation, because if they was in the wrong crowd, and they express how they really feel, and another person heard that and say, well, he go with gun. Go do what you gotta do. Don't talk about it. Be about it. I um, you know, with the explosion of violence, Instagram mm-hmm. and YouTube, I can't tell you how many homicides, shootings, and we call them shooting incidents where like nobody shot, but they were shoot. You know, there's like shell casings right. on the ground, but nobody shot. Come from um these videos, right? Right, and. It's instantaneous, Instagram Live in some cases. That's crazy. And it's, it is hard to keep, stay on top of it. Right. Um, 
and we you know I tell people all the time I've said it before on the show like we have the cell room here hands down unequivocally when there are arrests made because we do make arrests the whole demeanor changes (laughs) and and most of the people that come here are like shit I didn't really mean to be like that you know what I mean and they made a terrible terrible mistake and the whole facade that they have in public and on Instagram changes and you get to see a little bit more of who they really are now I'm not saying they shouldn't be punished or shouldn't be held accountable Um, but this social media stuff is like a whole nother level that probably in 2000 2002 3, 5 we didn't have to deal with yeah so like people have to make up so say if you have a child that's in West Philly that's your district and they are they're not a troublemaker but they surrounded by all troublemakers they can't be the nice guy so they just react to their surroundings listen I, we, we just had a situation where I don't want to be too particular but you know we had some victims of gun violence and like you know, it was two out of three or three out of four. It might have been kind of like, you know, in the game a little bit or in the streets. And another person was like the neighbor. Mm. I'm like, well, listen, he lives. That doesn't make him a bad person. He mm. just was talking to his friends and happened to be out there when the incident happened. That doesn't make him a bad person. Right. And, you know, you, you can, if you live in a certain neighborhood, mm. no matter where it is, you can't like not talk to anybody, right. especially in Philadelphia and row home communities. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 the most important part. Like they have generational beef. Like my great grandma didn't like your great grandma. So when I go to the school, you already know what block I'm on. And my grandma said beat you up because my great grandma didn't like you. What? We I have out here. We have um, <laughs> like that's the north side, south side, quote unquote gangs, right? right? And I'm breaking it down real simple. But north side above market, south side below market. Mm-hmm. So these are the grandkids of the guys that actually really got it in in the 70s, mm-hmm. right? When we talk to some of these kids that get locked up, and I say kids because they are 16 mm-hmm. through 19, 20, 21, they couldn't even tell you. The history of the quote unquote gang that they're in. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just like, but a lot of these kids have ta- have so much talent. Whether it be music, clothes, mm-hmm. art. And that's really what is like sad to me when you see kids um, that get caught up in the stuff that have talent and could make it out. Right. And, but listen, you do something like that, you gotta get held accountable. Of course, it just of is course. what it is. Now, speaking of held accountable, um, your shooting was there ever an arrest made? No, no. Mm-mm. I mean, you hear who did it? That word on the street. Oh, that person did it. Oh, that person did it. But it never was like a official arrest. Yeah. And I assume like you were just caught in a crossfire. Yeah, it was a crossfire of, of something. Mm-hmm. Was there any kind of we talk about those feelings of retaliation. Was there any kind of feelings of that that you had or anybody with in your me, family? Really? No, for me. Because I feel like it made me a better person. I don't know what I could have been. Wow. Been, Yo, that's deep, man. Like, how many people say... I, don't, I think that it made me look 
to life different. Like, I feel like, now I feel like I'm here for a reason. I mean, I'm not saying I got shot for a reason, but I feel like that made me a better person. And now I have a determination to do something with my life. And I think that you definitely are on the right track. The Inquirer just wrote an article. That's how I saw it. I saw this article. I was like, oh, man, I got to talk to this guy. <laughs> you know, because so many people are gun violence experts. We talked a little bit about right. this before the show started, right? Like, you know, people that... I get frustrated at this. I get frustrated at the gun violence expert that never was at a shooting scene, never met anybody that was shot, me live in a neighborhood where there's not an issue really has no their experience with gun violence is what they see on Twitter and, and studies that they read <laughs> right you know what I mean yeah. and you know the academic stuff is important too but like you really can walk the walk and talk the talk mm-hmm. and you're actually doing it right and I asked around and called around and everybody that I trust and know said the same thing like this dude is the real deal <laughs> well, you know you. Yeah. so I don't mean to I mean, embarrass I mean, you I mean, I mean, I'm trying but it's not it's not it's, it's not just me mm-hmm. I mean I, I can't change the whole world nah. and I'm not gonna be out here fake talking about oh I can stop the violence because I'm never gonna stop the violence it's not it ain't gonna happen little wins yeah little so if, if I could stop the violence, I'd be like a millionaire. <laughs> but, if we all had the answer, and that's what gets me frustrated when we have meetings or whatever it might be. If we had the answer, if I certainly had the answer, like you said, I'd be a millionaire. Right. Not everybody has the answer. So let's listen to everybody. Gotcha. Let's get small wins. Hold those accountable that need to be. And hopefully... We help some people make better decisions. I, I mean it. I really do. Yeah, I think I think we can start off with solutions. Mm-hmm. So if we have solutions, if everybody listens to the same solution, but everybody want to be the boss. I mean, so nobody want to listen to, oh, no, your solution ain't good enough. But if we stick to maybe four or five solutions and try it out for two months, if it don't work now, I'm, don't listen to me no more. Go to the next person. So give me... In your opinion, from your perspective, give me give me two things that you think would be a solution that you would... I think um, education. Education. If education was easier to get and people to go to college, crime would be least. Meaning like the, 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 the cost the of it, and accessibility to accessibility it. Accessibility and people know they got acceptance to these colleges because... People don't want to go to like the corny college, so so they say, and they not they say, oh, I don't have the grades to go to this college, so you know what, I'm gonna just stay on the streets. Oh, I know I can't take this test, so I'm gonna just stay in the streets. Yeah. The second, I believe that if people go to jail and do their time, if they come out, give them an opportunity to get a job or go back to school. I just had this conversation with somebody today, right? As much as I believe in holding people accountable the right way, when they come out of state prison, to just open up the door and mm-hmm. say, all right, see ya, I it's think that's, that's totally wrong. Right. Like, And I'm not saying I have all the answers, but whether it be 90 days out, mm-hmm. get this person ready to be released, 
some kind of stipend for them. Mm -hmm. Because if you leave state prison that you were in for two, three, four years, you don't have a supportive family like yours. Where are you going back to? Right to the streets. You're going back to the streets. The gang will always accept anybody. Going right back to the streets. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm sure there's at least probably some of that, maybe, you know, helping people transition out. I think there just needs to be more of it. Yeah. You know I, think, what I, mean? I think so. More, more as uh, more easy to get to. Easy because to get to. Because it is a lot of programs that help you, but that waiting list probably like a year or two. There's a lot of bureaucracy. I mean, yeah. I work in the police department. The bureaucracy and the paper. You know, we we send memos to send memos. You know what I mean? It's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's uh. But listen, the McLean Foundation. How can people get in touch with you? Um, Facebook. Uh, I can give them my number. I like people. My wife hated, but. I want people to call me directly. If you have a solution or you can help my program out or you got a question or answer, open. You can call me. If you want me to come to your house or you want me to come and say, hey, there's a shooting on my block, let's do a march and let's do a rally, I'm all open for it. Um, The McLean Foundation is on Facebook. You know, April 3rd, 2000, probably obviously changed your life. Yeah. I uh, I commend you, seriously, man, for the successes you have had in your life and the, and the things that you have overcome. You know, I think that the city could use somebody like you uh, as a mentor for the city. Oh, wow. Seriously, I, I mean that, <laughs> honestly. Um, I feel honored to be able to talk to you. Oh, you know what I mean? The... The trust you put in the police department that night to help save your life. Oh, yeah. We, fact, we still friends to this day. The fact they come that to come baby showers and all that. <laughs> and what are the officers' names again? Um, Megan Lynch and Brian Huber. Um, I don't know them particularly, but I'm going to try and find out okay. who they are because that's, that's what these cops do. Yeah. You know, That's what these cops do. We go to the sound of gunshots, no matter who it is, and try to save your life. Um you know, wear that scar proudly. I know you do. Seriously. <laughs> I Seriously. Do, I do. And um, I'm just proud to have met you. I think the city needs more people like you, especially Thanks. people that are optimists that went through the darkest of times. Yeah. So um, this is very nice. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, Thanks and for I having kn- me. And I know for a fact that there's people out there whose lives you have, uh, have affected in a positive way. So... Uh, I'm going to hit you up because I'm going to have you work out here in West Philly now. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> so, um, man, I'm, I'm a little emotional talking, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. So thank you very much. No you know, it was the aftermath thank of Philadelphia and uh, the McLean Foundation, and I appreciate it. Well, thank you, brother. Thank you for having me. Absolutely.